I assumed the walk was just to endear himself to the rest of the, the Blue Jays pitchers so he could, you know, demonstrate that he was one of them. Also, Greg, nine runs. Yeah, I was just going to say that. The Blue Jays have scored nine <laughs> runs, so I think the podcast is actually over. Hotshot manager who parachutes in for what, honestly, is probably going to be one season. And welcome to episode number 206 of Artificial Turf Wars, the one without a joke in the tagline. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by the subsonic Nick Dyka. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars, Nick. Hey, hey, um, was that a Friends reunion reference? <laughs> Maybe, you'll never know. And I am also joined by the supersonic Joshua Housem. How you doing, Josh? Take that, Nick. <laughs> one of you plays the bass guitar i can't change that <laughs> you know uh, that i don't i don't <laughs> as it turns out i do don't i do know that you don't anyway alec manoa folks that's why we're really here we're not here for the bass guitar or the supersonic speeds we are here for alec manoa and his uh incredible blue jays debut a toast to him, which will continue in a few minutes after we talk about the bullpen who got no toasts on the way out of Dunedin and probably will get some some raspberries blown from us in the near future as well because it's uh, held together with tape. Uh, the top of the order continues to be amazing. The part at the bottom, probably less so, but that's okay because they're still scoring runs. Lourdes Gurriel is starting to hit like Lourdes Gurriel again, I think. Danny Jansen. We answer the question, the perpetual question, is Danny Jansen an automatic out? We know you want to know. Uh, we're even going to put him up against some people we know aren't an automatic out and see how he's doing. We gained a Joe Panic and a, uh, a Castro, and uh, we lost a Phelps. And I'm probably sadder about the guy we lost than I am happy about the guys who came back. We have your questions. We have uh, a do-over for the White Sox, who uh, we thought the Blue Jays PR department was bad. Oh, no. No. The White Sox are ready to outdo you. And... Tyler Glasnow, uh, accuser. Is it, is it really worth being an accuser in baseball? I don't know these days. Gentlemen, we shall begin the show with, with the most exciting debut, I would argue, since um, Brett Laurie's Alec Manoa. Your, your first hot take, Nick, on uh, what you thought of, of Manoa's six innings in New York. I mean, he, he looked pretty good. Uh, I know, Josh, you mentioned this. I think it was on Twitter. But, like, he made Aaron Judge look really bad on one of his swings and misses. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's not a lot to be discouraged about. Um, you know, I guess if you want to throw cold water on it, it's only been one start, blah, blah, blah. Very we don't want to do that, Nick. No, we, we, <laughs> no we it's great. Like, I mean, yeah, keep, <laughs> keep him here. Keep him in the starting rotation. And yeah, like the Jays need every talented, good pitcher that they can get right now. So yeah, it's, ex it's exciting. And I'm, uh, I'm happy he's here. And yeah. Your... And, well, we were talking about, it might be like, he might need to do one more of those starts to get called up. Uh, he didn't need to, obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the rotation, I think needed the boost uh like it just it wasn't tenable with stripling and k at the back as much as i like anthony k just wasn't getting it done um and of course stripling went on through seven shutter innings out of the bullpen but uh yeah it's just 
like he was dominating in the minors and there's it's one of those things where it's like there's only so many innings he's going to throw in the season. Like, why the hell is he wasting them in Buffalo if the team has a need? And yeah, I mean that that pitch that he made Judge look stupid on was a fastball right down the middle. Like <laughs> it's like, in order to do that, you must have shown, and this is only the third batter of the game, but you must have shown quality enough with your off-speed pitches that a guy is sitting on that with two strikes. Because he had actually right before that thrown a fastball that Judge swung through or fouled back. I can't remember which. So Judge was thinking he was going to come back with a breaking ball because he'd seen a bunch of them and yeah, just blew them away with 97 down the middle. Yeah, so one thing that was I did find interesting is he kind of sits a little lower velocity-wise than I thought. Not that, I mean, he's not Marco Estrada or something, but he's not high 90s all the time. Um, what is it about him that makes him so unhittable? Again, even though he's not, like 97 was not his average fastball yesterday i don't think no i think he sat at 94 9 which is right still great. um i think it's the it's the pitch mix and the, the way his fastball he has two fastballs he's a sinker and the four seamer which have a clear difference in their movement and he was locating well with his fastball like he was really using it up in the zone well to get the strikeouts uh yeah i don't know if that's a command thing that's going to continue again as you said it's the one start um and he's got a really good slider which he wasn't even that great in that game. His changeup was his better secondary pitch in that game. So I don't, I don't really know. Like he's hit a hundred in the past, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's going to sit there. I think that's probably in a short stint. Yeah. Um, it was such a nice story too, with his mom and his 30 family members there too. That was really kind of nice to see and cool to see them. Like with the crowd being so small, it seems like you could literally hear them yelling too. <laughs> Which well, is fine. I, actually, he admitted that in the post-game interview with Hazel was he he absolutely could hear them yelling and he could not. I mean, the, the interview in the post-game was probably the most tear-jerking thing I've seen post-debut for a, a player in years because he acknowledged that his mother literally sacrificed, uh, you know, to put food in, in his mouth instead of hers. Um, he acknowledged his family repeatedly. He said he couldn't look up at them. Because you know he would have lost his composure, like just just every trope uh, in, in the book, and it it was really touching that uh, he clearly he he felt that he had succeeded and done them proud, and that that was also an awesome part. If he's if he's really that good of a guy, you know, more credit to him for sticking it out and making it to the big. And it, and it really didn't start out well. I don't know if you guys remember his first battery facing the big leagues. He walked on four pitches. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, no, like, uh, oh, that's not what you want. And maybe the nerves. And then he struck out Rugen Odor because he's Rugen Odor and he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but then he, <laughs> he did that to Aaron Judge. It's like, okay, okay. Like, I think he's settled in. And then he was just tremendous. He did six shutout innings in his major debut at Yankee Stadium. I assumed the walk was just to endear himself to the rest of the, the Blue Jays pitchers so he could, you know, demonstrate that he was one of them. Uh, <laughs> well, except Robbie Ray. Robbie yeah. Ray's like, what the hell are you doing? Although he yeah. did walk two in his last start. <laughs> yeah, what, whatever are we going to do now that Robbie Ray has returned to his walking more than one one guy per 40 innings rate? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I think we've covered Manoa, the, the statistics, the the quality of the pitches and the, you know, the emotional part, let us move to the most emotional thing I had a problem with, which was the bullpen leaving Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never been angrier 
at the end of games than I was at, at the bullpen. And I'm sure it's not right to be that angry, but, but that was my emotion. I was angry at their inability to throw strikes, their inability to get people out, uh, Charlie's inability to put the right person in. Where should I have directed my anger, Josh? Baseball gods? Yes. <laughs> yeah, for all the injuries that led to that scenario. I mean, the, the relievers were on fumes. I, I, the, like it was obvious watching them pitch. Like, they, just, like, they needed the break. Thank God that they got that double header in the Reno because then they could really rest some of those guys. But, I mean, Chatwood melted down for the first time all season. Uh, Bergen blew a game where he melted down completely, couldn't throw a strike, and now he's on the IL. And, yeah, it, like... Uh, it, 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 like Castro returned and was bad. Like everybody was not good, and it was just one of those stretches. Like they were an out away from winning twice, and then the you know there were some strange decisions that led to one of those extra inning losses. But the Jays also had like they had uh, Bichette was was on second. I don't know if Semyon was on second with Bichette, Guerrero, and and Teoscar coming up. To, with in the extra inning and they couldn't get a run home so it's like at some point your offense has to do that thing too oh yeah yeah i mean the, the failure had to be on both sides of the ball even the game where they came back down from from five nothing ended up losing somehow 14 eight after giving up i know the, the rule is silly so the nine runs aren't really all earned runs but they gave up nine runs in extra innings um that they despite all of the comebacks and the and everything they never held the lead in that game ever it's just like even your comebacks aren't making it to coming back. You're just kind of hanging around, and you know the further you get into the game, the worse the pitching is going to get. And lo and behold, it it, it got worse than I've ever seen in an extra inning game myself. Yeah. I mean, it was just like a heartbreaking series of losses over and over and over and over again, starting with that one against Boston. And it's just like, it's like you just throw your hands up at that point. Like it's like one thing if you just get beaten down, which fine. Like if you lose eight to three or whatever, it's like okay, well this, they sucked, but like they should have won all of those games or could have won all of those games is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if we're looking for a silver lining in that, it's that they are staying in games. They're competitive. You know that one against the Raids where yeah they never took the lead, but they did keep coming back. I know some people were frustrated with charlie montoyo for i was gonna say did i, did that, I just but... <laughs> did i invite charlie montoyo to co-host the podcast that's wild yeah it's just wild. but they're, they're they're in games which you know like just moving forward it's like okay you know this team's probably a little better than their record indicates as of right now and you know if two if two of the bullpen guys get healthy that could go a long way into kind of like lightening the workload you know if manoa can give them some length once every five times through the rotation, like, yeah, it's, it was, I'd say as much as it was a frustrating week because of the bullpen, it's also like, there is some signs for optimism, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. a team is never as bad as they are at rock bottom. And that was, you can't really get worse than blowing that many games in a row. Like the the Jays bullpen had been excellent to that point. And as you said, they stayed in games. Well, like you said, and we said before Ross stripling seven shoutout innings in relief in one game, and yeah, you know, there were a lot of good, and then just the bad overwhelmed the good, and then they you know, came in and took two or three from the Yankees. So, <clears throat> uh, yeah, there's a path forward, sure, and, absolutely, and and I think it is. Um, we're gonna have a question about this later, but I think it does show that this team is probably on the cusp of of being a very good team, like you alluded to, Nick, with a couple of pieces that are healthier or more consistent 
um, without so many injuries. And again, this is a baseball wide problem. I'm not blaming the Blue Jays for it. Um, if you had more dependable people on the roster, maybe you do win two of those games without, you know, the, the, the air of disaster around the whole thing. Uh, that said, we don't have to ever think about Dunedin again, apparently. So there's that. <laughs> um, I, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, for this year, I'm still not ready to make any – the baseball gods will get angry and somehow like an earthquake will destroy the dome or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We won't, we won't say forever. We just don't have to think about it until 2022. Um, the, the reason they were in those games, though, uh, is largely due to the fact that they do keep generating offense at the top of the order. We'll get to that in detail, I think, with Danny Jansen. In, in, relative to that, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go into that because we say the same thing every week. We're going to try and spin it differently. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., though, is probably worth a mention because he's finally looking a lot more like the guy who puts the bat on things and good things happen. Uh, are you uh, are you as encouraged as I am, Nick? Yeah, I'm just like not surprised. Like when he gets into these funks, this is what happens when you have a guy you know, who swings a lot and, and doesn't walk very much. Like swings out everything. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're going to get into spells where, you know, their contact's not great and they don't get a lot of hits. And yeah, I, I just not surprised, but, but that also means I'm not surprised he's turning it around either. And I think, you know, there's going to be some dizzying highs and terrifying lows with, with Lourdes Gurriel, as long as he's got this plate approach. I agree to a point. I think that, the thing that made him such a good hitter the last few years is that he wasn't walking like that. That just isn't his game. He swings at everything, but he was making contact and he was, you know, he was making good contact when he hit the ball and he was, and he was using the whole field. And for the beginning of the season, he was swinging and missing at pitches that were like meatballs. I, I he was just off. So I don't think that he's likely to be that bad for many stretches. But while I do think that obviously swinging and everything will lead to some spells, he was unplayable for the first month of the season. Yeah. And I mean, he's like his walk right now is like 1.7%. I'd imagine he gets that up over, you know, three around 5%, <laughs> like, or, and, and stuff like that. So like, you're right, Josh. He 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 was unplayable, but it might just be like an uh, an ugly month. Um, well, I think that's well. what it was. Like yeah. that, that, it's just like the, he was just off. You know, I, I happen to think that Lewis Gurriel is one of the more talented hitters on the team. I mean, since the last time we recorded, he's got he's you know hitting 400. He's got extra base hits and or two extra base hits in seven out of ten games because he makes such good line drive contact. So I think as long as he's doing that, you can take the lower, maybe not as low as you said, walk rate. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something to be said for having uh, six guys at the top of the lineup um, who are all performing, right, um, as well. And someday, I've heard there's a guy that they signed for a lot of money who's supposed to actually extend that to seven guys at the top of the lineup who might be really good. But that's apparently that's still just a rumor. <laughs> George yeah, something. He, he doesn't know when that's <laughs> happening. Uh, they're letting him run around the field now. That's good. But not too fast. So now we go to the most important question, I think, of the podcast, other than our listener questions, which is, Josh, is Danny Jansen an automatic out? 
since we last recorded, which was last Friday, I believe, Danny Johnson has reached base. Well, he's come to the plate 15 times and reached base in four of them. Wow. That's that's pretty good for Danny. Uh, it's a big drop from last week where his on-base percentage over the previous week was over 400. Mm-hmm. This is under 300, so it's still not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but still, uh, you know, not an automatic out. Now, not I, automatic. I do dare you to compare him to two people who we count on to do the right thing, uh, which is to not make outs, which is a hitter's job, as we've reviewed here. Uh, you pick, uh, or give me both. How many times have they come up and how many of the times have they got on for either Vlad uh, Jr. or uh, Marcus Semyon? Would you like me to do this since yes. I have the numbers in front of yes, me? Yes, you have the Nick, numbers, sir. You have to do this <laughs> no. by memory. Yeah, Nick, think about it. <laughs> okay, so Vlad Jr. has come up 32 times and been on base in 13 of them. Okay. And, and oh, sorry, 14 of them. I, I missed hit by pitch. Is that good? I, I think <laughs> that's good. 14 out of 32? Yeah, 438 on base <laughs> with an 889 slugging in that period is not so bad. Uh, and Semyon, not quite as good with his 389 on base percentage, <laughs> has come up 36 times and reached base in 14 of them. So, so yeah, they've each re- reached base 14 times over the, the week. Now, to be fair, like we said, uh, uh, Danny does have much more limited opportunities. So um, so we'll, we'll cut him some slack there in total. Because <laughs> um, Reese McGuire keeps not getting on base on the days where uh, where he's not playing. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, obviously we're doing this tongue in cheek, Nick. It's the first time I'm doing this game because it's just Jansen has been awful. Oh, I I know, but you know what? Like, so have so many catchers in in baseball this year. Like, oh my, I'm such a Danny Jansen apologist. I I know, I know. <laughs> but like, no, admit it. I'm right there with you. I, I've been doing the same thing. Like for re- for reference, the Mets paid James McCann forty million dollars in the offseason, and he's slashing one ninety seven, two seventy one, two sixty five. Um, like that's bad, you know. Gary Sanchez, his slug is under four hundred. Uh, like you didn't go just, down the list. We get we get the idea. Yeah, there's a lot of bad catchers. Yeah, and even ones like you know Yasmani Grandal is hitting under 150. Like, yeah, but the base percentage is like 400. <laughs> yeah, it's weirdest, weirdest season it's, ever. It's wacky. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a tough job. They're and, they're um, catching these weird baseballs, and now they're scared to hit them. That's my my yeah. uh, conclusion. <laughs> yeah, N- my, my one, The one reason I do bring it up is because I do think, you know, if we if we see the team bring in another catcher. We might then become frustrated with, like Jansen has done some things well this year, which is like block pitches and stuff like that. And best in the um, game, maybe. Yeah, and and I think you know, given the the faults of all these guys who wear the tools of ignorance, it might be frustrating to see a guy who you know can hit at a decent clip, but they're just like he can't can't frame, can't block the ball. People are running more off him. It's kind of like a, a double edged sword, I fear, when, unless you you know somehow trade for Wilson Contreras or something like that. Well, I think that the, the hope is just that Kirk gets healthy by the time like he's expected to be ready to go when he's eligible to come off a 60 day IL. Right. And right. Kirk, Kirk receives well. He doesn't block 
overly well. He throws okay, and he hits. He was hitting really well before he went down, and he's done nothing but hit as a pro. So I think that the offense is more likely to come from him. And I think that, that makes a much better pairing than McGuire and Jansen because McGuire can't hit either. And so it's yeah. like, you know, well, if, if you do just have their that, defender. if you do have that occasion where you want to go to the bench, um, and and you're going to end up with your backup catcher in, wouldn't you just rather pinch hit with him and save the other guy on the bench? <laughs> like, you don't pinch hit Rowdy Tellez and then have to swap in Reese McGuire. You just you pinch hit Alejandro Kirk if if things favor you. Um, yeah, and that's how the Blue Jays were playing it. And yeah. it's just it's a lot easier when one of your catchers is a good enough hitter that he can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for Alejandro Kirk, who I just like, like watching play. He's a lot of fun to watch. And Jansen will get better. <laughs> he's not this bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's been a lot steadier uh, in the last couple of weeks to the point where this feature uh, does not have the over 35 impact that it did maybe the first time I mentioned it. Um, so... We did get some people back. Joe Panic, and uh, I want to call him Juan Castro. That it's Anthony right. Castro. Anthony, that, but you can it, do that if you like. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> some, sometimes a, a first name and last name get permanently joined in my head. Uh, Castro has not been great since he's come back. Panic has been Joe Panic again. Um, he just hit a bomb. Yeah, I don't know how Joe that works Panic? either. Joe Panic and Disco. Panic. Yeah, he had a two home, two run homer against Cleveland to put the Jays up six to two. <laughs> wow, that's Joe Panic when you least expect him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean he's left-handed. He 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 can play second and possibly third base on a good day, and uh, I guess the Jays are happy to have him. Somehow they still have Santiago Espinal though. Uh, well, the, yeah, because Biggio, Biggio ended up on the deal. Yeah, <sighs> with the worst sounding neck injury I've ever heard. They, they named a part of his spine that was impinged or something. It sounded extremely dangerous. Apparently it wasn't. It means he had a sore neck. Yeah, that's medical terms for you. <laughs> I, I don't want you naming vertebrae if I'm hurt. I don't care. Hang on. Ryan Baraki is like the most tired guy ever because he still hasn't <laughs> been seen since he went down with arm fatigue. Oh, man. Um, the one we actually do know that I think is probably worth having a pour one out for my homies is david phelps uh is done for the season um shoulder injury i think yeah yeah well, and that's strange very, very severe one yeah that is gonna be uh really bad for phelps obviously but also bad for the blue jays because as a veteran reliever who provided consistent um you know consistent work over a number and strike of years throwing yeah <laughs> and strike throwing and everything you want Phelps was was absolutely doing what he what he had always done, and and now it's just like nope, you're gonna have to go with someone who is a much much less certain asset. Yeah, I mean, even as guys start to come back, there's not a lot of people in this Jays relief group who you're confident are actually going to throw strikes at any point. I mean, Tyler Chatwood randomly was, but he still has his history that keeps that yeah, thought <laughs> whenever he comes in. Yeah. And, you know, the two guys that were supposed to be the strike throwers in this bullpen were Kirby Yates and David Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> and they're drinking somewhere well. right now together. <laughs> Just, yeah. uh, possibly with their non-favored arm. Um, but this is where some of the injury reinforcements could come in. Like, so Hatch is 
in the rotation in in Buffalo, and he's eligible to come off the IL as of tomorrow. We're recording this on Friday. I think it's tomorrow, 29th. And, you know, he's still building up a bit, but if he moves into the rotation, then uh, Stripling is not going to walk people. So, like, he's at least useful as a longer man, and then you have Thornton in a more specific role. Like, you can start to see the bullpen cha- taking a little more shape and then Merriweather could you know he could come back and then get injured again but yeah that seems most know, likely but like it could get a little stronger but like we said Phelps and Yates uh in over time represent a, a big loss to the original plan and it's it's going to be tough to know for sure whether you you filled those holes or not until you know the middle of the of July or or August um all right i think that sort of sums up the week that was started on a low note but two out of three from the yankees in the yankee stadium with a hot new rookie is is probably that's good enough for me and they're leading cleveland as we speak will they be when we come back from uh this little break and start answering your questions probably because the break is uh only about 10 seconds long we'll be right back And we're back. Uh, so what what happened to the score there, Josh? Are we still intact? I was going to make a joke about the, the <laughs> long, but yeah, it's, it's they've been like two pitches since we stopped yeah. recording. <laughs> Everything, everything's cool, everybody. Everyone, relax. Go back to your business. Um, we have questions, and when we have questions, I play this thing. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, next week's question is probably going to be, do you feel as miserable as Hyunjin Ryu looks pitching in this weather? But this week's question <laughs> is from Ewan Ross. Uh, first, should the Jays look at locking up Vlad? What would the contract look like? Now, tongue-in-cheek, I already responded to him on Twitter with all the monies. Uh, but perhaps you could break it down a little more in your opinion, Josh, of how that might look. <laughs> Putting me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> geez, don't, I mean, don't, uh, don't worry. I, Nick has to also answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I can start if you if you want. No, that's um, all right. I, I, I think that it's like you're looking at something similar to Tatis, but there's slight differences because Vlad has one year less of service time and he's not a shortstop. So... If you're doing so, if you're looking for something similar, you're probably looking at 15 years in the 320-ish million dollar range. I mean, that's probably what you're trying to do if you're trying to get something like that. I think that's the only thing I'd kind of deal that he would even consider accepting. And Nick, yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of like an interesting thing to compare because Tatis has what could become I'm. I, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, but a problematic shoulder issue. Yeah, um, I, I was awesome. <laughs> I was blown away. He came back after 10 days. Um, I thought he was going to be done for the year. Um, I think doesn't Hanley Ramirez. He kind of suffered a similar injury um, at at some point in his career. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's like I'm I'm curious to know where like would you value again Tatisa's defense and the position he plays more than kind of Vlad's offense first 
you know, kind of corner bat. Um, it's kind of an interesting. Well, the thing question. is, like Tatis what, is putting up Vlad numbers on offense, right? right. Um, yeah, he leads the league in steals. Like he's got runs every time he gets on base, and the guy's like, "You're injury prone. Stop it." Yeah, but uh, I mean, he's a terrible shortstop. I, um, he can't throw. But the, the difference is, I think that even if he has to move, he's got all the other skills that you could move him to second, you can move him to third, you can move him to center field, and he's probably going to play a play up at all those spots. Is is it crazy for me to say I'm not as bought in on Tatis as having the elite bat that that Vlad has at this point? Like with Vlad, it just his plate discipline, his exit velocity, like everything backs it up. And not that Tatis has terrible discipline or exit velocity, but like he well, does he strike a, he strikes out more, right? Like he has elite exit velocities. He's right up there with Vlad in terms of like the percentage of balls over 108 miles an hour or something like that. Um, well, not right up there, but he's in the top five or 10 in the league. But he does swing and miss more. So I think that if you're going to just compare their bats, you have to say that Vlad has the higher upside just because he makes so much contact and he takes so many walks, as you said. Yeah. It's going to cost a lot. And yep. <laughs> he's he's going to have to want to sign it. So <laughs> and, and, and the, the deal qu- is it's going to be a lot of money. And the big question mark is that injury risk that you started alluding to. Vlad, Vlad has no significant injury uh, other than, uh, risk other than potentially um, if his weight goes uh, out of control again. Um, that, that could be a drain on his performance, and it could also be a source of injury. But what is the discount that you factor in for, for giving a guarantee that he will not be significantly injured in the next 10 to 15 years of his career? I have no idea. Yeah, that's just not a thing, sadly, that anyone could ever ever say. Like, Josh Johnson was the most healthy guy in the world until he could not play. Like, yep. he, he was 155-plus games for six years in a row, and then all of a sudden he just can't stay on the field. Yeah. I, I'd be curious, do you think Vlad would do something like uh, Acuna did, where he's going to be a free agent? Acuna's going to be a free agent again at, what, like 30, I think? Um I don't know if Vlad would be curious about doing something like that, but that's maybe another option that doesn't look like the Tatis one. You'll have to pay him more than the Braves played Acuna, but yeah, that's another option maybe. Yeah, I don't know if the Jays would be as interested in that, but there's certainly things that they could do. Either way, it's going to be a contract that's not going to be it's not going to be team friendly like like Acuna's or Albies, which is ridiculous. But uh, because Vlad doesn't need the money and he's already performing at such an elite level that it would be insane to take it. Yeah. But I think the Jays should look at it. I think having yep, a franchise sure player are. is, is absolutely worth it in this day and age. Um, especially Anyways, one so who's un- my answer is under the Tatis number, by the way, you, and that was my response. To that I, part of the question. I just feel the blue Jays are going to end up under as well. That was a, the follow-up was the over under. Do you feel they're over or under Tatis's number? Uh, uh, Nick. I think it's going to be over just because by the time he signs it, that Tatis deal is going to be a couple of years old. Um, and, you know, but the idea is if it was right now. Oh, uh, this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guy. Okay. Then yeah. Under everybody's under. All right. L at Ellie. Ellie Hart is our second question. Uh, you skipped how... the one that you can't see, but we'll do well, this I, first. I, I, I don't know where it is if I can't see it. <laughs> uh, how badly do you think a manager of a successful team would have to be at on-field decisions for them to be fired for that alone? Nick? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say because I don't know anything about anything that's not on the field. 
and you know like how they handle their relationships with the players and running the team and stuff like that um so that said we've seen enough gaps that it seems like they'd have to be pretty bad for it to be like tactical i mean gabe kapler didn't lose his job with the phillies a couple years ago uh you know tony larusa seems to have somehow only strengthened his position after his his gaffe a couple weeks ago yeah it'd have to be pretty bad which i don't know i saw that movie a little big league where the kid manages so maybe there's more truth to that than we initially thought (laughs) oh you're teasing my final thought um (laughs) but i i think that it has to be a, a constant thing where there's a question about your tactics and like where you're flaming out in the postseason for that to happen. I mean, Dusty Baker, the issue he had, there were complaints about his usage of, and it took him forever to lose his job because Dusty Baker is a great manager. You know, like what you do in the late game tactics is like 4% apparently of a manager's job. Like, it's like there's so much more to it. And if your team is successful, it's not usually in spite of the manager. There are times where it probably is like with the White Sox right now. But yeah, I, I just don't think you get fired if your team's good. Yeah, I, I think you're much much more likely to get fired if you run afoul of um, management from above telling you to do something, um, play a particular player, or um, you know, uh, or employ a particular strategy, and you you refuse to do that because you don't believe it's tactically advantageous. I think that'll get you fired right away. But I don't think that would necessarily look like a bad tactical decision from the fan standpoint. It's like the easily yard how walk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that's tough to say, but yeah, there, there's a, it's not actually as easy as it is at home either. <laughs> that's the other thing is we, none of us really know how, how difficult suddenly being uh, American league manager in a national league game, realizing you have to do a double switch in the seventh inning uh, when your starter got injured. Um, you think, oh, that you should be able to do that, but Cito Gaston couldn't pull it off, so go figure. Um, <laughs> you have a question that I can't see. Yeah, so this one comes in from Lauren Simmons at Lauren Dorfin. Will Marcus Simeon stay this good? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I think it is distinctly possible that this is actually how good a healthy Marcus Simeon is. Yeah, I mean, he's hitting the ball the hardest of his career, and he's pulling the ball a little bit more. His numbers are basically, like, dead even with his numbers in 2019 in Oakland. When he uh, he made a change partway through 2018 at the end of that season to the way he approached hitting and had a tremendous success, especially in the power department. And he's uh, he's on pace for, like, 40 bombs or something like that. But... I, I mean, it's it's hard to say, looking at Semyon, that you expect extreme regression. I mean, he does swing and miss a little more than you would expect. But, yeah, I think he's he's a good player. Nick? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's if it doesn't look exactly like this, it's going to look pretty similar to this. Like, I think he might give up a little bit in terms of batting average, but I think he's still going to, you know, hit for power. Um, and yeah, like his kind of quality of contact metrics look pretty good, pretty similar to, to that 2019 breakout season. So yeah, I think it's going to look similar and, uh, and it's going to be a really good player and one that Jays are very happy to have. 
All right. Uh, next question is from Prairie Jays at Jays Prairie. Hey, fellas, longtime listener, first time questioner. Well, welcome to the questions portion of the program, Prairie Jays. Good to have you along. He asks, with Manoa's fantastic debut fresh in our minds, which Jays player debut is your personal all time favorite? Uh, I will start Nick. with Nick. Yeah. Nick. Nick? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I hate I hate myself for giving this answer, but it's the truthful one. Um, it was JP Aaron Sibias. Uh, it was just such an exciting debut. Uh, you know, the Jays hadn't had a, a young catcher in, in quite some time that I, at least that I could recall, and he just made his debut at a time when um, kind of the ability to follow prospects uh, and the minor leagues was really kind of growing because of the internet and Twitter and things like that. Uh, so I remember being very excited for JP or Insibia. Uh, yeah. And we all know how that turned out, but yeah, yeah. but, but not the talk about the debut. You cannot deny yeah. the debut. Yeah. Nick, uh, or Greg, you want to give, give yours? Yeah. Uh, Brett Laurie. Um, Brett Laurie was a severely delayed debut because of a broken hand. So I think the anticipation got ratcheted right up. Um, he got into a game in, I just looked it up. It was in August against in Baltimore. I remember against the Baltimore Orioles and he singled in his first at bat and drove in a run, which the Blue Jays were at the time having a lot of trouble scoring runs. So it, it seemed very appropriate. He seemed gritty and, uh, and it looked like he could, handle himself he finished two for four and he had a fear fielding error which i think is fantastic because uh that told us a lot about brett laurie as well uh, and what we'd be getting <laughs> for the next couple of years so yeah i i enjoyed brett laurie's debut i was anticipating it and it paid off for me in a fun way josh i have a feeling you've been holding out on me here well see i i was gonna take this in the weird way and say not just do like a a rookie debut and be like an actual debut on a player with the Jays, but that's just not the spirit of the question. So my answer is Vlad. Um, and not because he did anything really truly special, though he did get a hit that led to the winning walk-off run. It was just because I was there and the excitement level and just the, and the energy, like he had a fly ball to the track and the place exploded. <laughs> it's like, it was a fly out. Like it didn't even go over the fence, but I, I've just never felt that about like a rookie making his first appearance with the team. Strowman's was close though. Strowman's debut was really, really something too. Yeah. I remember the year it was 2019, right? When, when Vlad debuted yep. and me and actually uh, you guys had Mike on a couple of weeks ago, me and Mike son were, were trying to plan going to his debut and we ended up going to one of the worst baseball games. I think <laughs> either of us has ever attended in person. It was uh blue Jays giants. And we we sat there trying to decide if we took a team of the best players, made it one team of the best players of both the 2019 Blue Jays and Giants, could they contend for the playoffs? And we weren't certain they could do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the answer was no. Yeah. Um, so you ended up going after Vlad's debut then, because he debuted against Oakland, didn't he? Oh, no, he debuted against Oakland the in Oakland. series. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, they, they yeah. thought that, that Vlad was going to debut in that beginning of that Giants series. And then, yeah, exactly. That did not happen. No, not fun. 
Uh, also, Greg, nine runs. Yeah, I was just going to say that. The Blue Jays have scored nine <laughs> runs, so I think the podcast is actually over right now, but it, it turns out there's some, <laughs> more, there's some more things on the list for some inexplicable reason. Uh, <laughs> uh, we do have one more question, which is uh, almost philosophical in nature. Do the Jays, this is from Ethan at elege 71 do the Jays make big moves at the deadline? Uh, Josh, do they? <laughs> <laughs> This is a lot easier question to answer in July (laughs) when you have some sense of where the team is. But also, I'll give you the caveat. If the Jays are still serious contenders and like their schedule through mid-June to the end of July is a really soft one compared to what it's been. (laughs) I think that they will be serious buyers like, you know, Max Scherzer is if he's on the on the block, the Jays will be interested. He has 10 and five, right? So he might not even be willing to come to Toronto. But I, I think that they're going to be playing for the big fish. Uh, Nick? Yeah, I think for me the question is who are those big fish this year? Because it seems like it's a little bit thinner of a class, I think, than at least how it's been historically. So my hope is I think they're going to be buyers uh, if, You know, if they continue anywhere near the way they're playing right now. It's just who's going to be available and are those players, you know, if Scherzer's available, that's awesome. He's the guy that can really take a team to the next level, but, you know, I'll be like, less like, excited if it's Jake Odorizzi or something like that. Yeah, like, so if like, the Giants fell out of it, Gaussman, who's been incredible, like, that could be a guy they target. Trevor Story, if they want an infield upgrade, like, there are things that they could potentially do, but, yeah, it's just, like, who knows who's available <laughs> on May yeah. 28th. <laughs> Uh, we are counting though on the Jays being competitive. If, if that is the spirit of the question, I do not think this is a stand pat year for the Blue Jays. If they see an opportunity to make the playoffs, absolutely, they will do. They 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 have, I believe, money to spend in that way. And that concludes the questions portion of the program. And if it does conclude the questions portion of the program, that means we've moved on to the uh, do-overs that we have set aside just for you folks. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. (laughs) But what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... Shall we begin with bad optics, Josh? I don't know which one that is, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) I would argue that uh, that Tyler Glassnow was accusing us of having good optics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To do over for the White Sox regards uh, not the fact that they took a very sweet um, and very thoughtful plaque and 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 area named in their stadium for a concession worker who, in fact, still works for them. Not the fact that they they just renamed it for Tony Larusa. who already has a plaque and uh, also uh, has two DUIs where he can see his name written down. Um, Then they tried to make good on it and explain to me their attempt to make good on the fact that they basically denied this, this lady, her, her legacy in um, new Comiskey. Yeah. So for again, just to repeat what Greg said, we're not giving them the do over for replacing Loretta's lounge with LaRusse's lounge, because that's just like so tone deaf. But (laughs) Um, so they said this is the the thing they the statement they put out prior to Tony Larusa becoming manager, a space that had been named after Larusa for many seasons was relocated to the current area on the 100 level during the 2020 season. Fan, and the fans couldn't see it because there were no fans. First off, why the not going to swear? <laughs> are you doing that? When he's not even your manager, why are you replacing this like Loretta's Lounge with Larusa's Lounge for no reason? 
And then he says, Loretta Michelle has always been a treasured member of the White Sox family and a plaque in her honor remains in the space to honor her memory despite the name change and that they're going to send a, re- a replica to the family. Let's just like, what? Like, just put it back. Like, what are you doing? Like, what? <laughs> what? Like, I just don't understand why even after this comes out and the family's like so upset because they didn't even they said that like, they didn't even get notified of the change or anything like that. Just rectify it. Just fix it. Put it back to the way it was. No one's going to complain. Even I'm sure even Tony LaRusso would get it. Wow. Well, that, that's uh, a good uh, Fine. Everyone but Tony LaRusso <laughs> would get it. Um, it's, it's the old, the, the people responsible have been sacked. That's all you have to say. You just put it back and you claim that you fired the person who made the change. You don't have to claim that you fired them. You just said like, yeah, we realized this was done in the, in the wrong way. We're going to put things back to the way they should be. And we've done that. And then everyone's like, okay, fine, great. And then they forget about it in a week. Yeah. Ordinary people who work hard deserve recognition. And when you take that away from them, uh, people are going to get upset. It's easy to avoid. Just recognize ordinary people who work hard. Also, if you're over. at the stadium, like what makes more sense to be in an area that's like named after like an employee and a member of the community or literally this hotshot manager who parachutes in for what honestly is probably going to be one season and <laughs> doesn't even like the players on the team. Right? <laughs> so like, my question is, why was there a LaRusse's lounge to begin with? Like or a LaRusse's anything? Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, he did. He did. Start with the White Sox, right? Like in the seventies yep. and eighties. Yeah, yeah. He was a White Sox uh, manager. Okay, that's yeah. But why? Why move it? Like I understand why they switched it before the twenty twenty season. Larusa wasn't managing yet. Maybe they knew. <laughs> Maybe someone knew. So silly. Oh my goodness. Okay, so there was your do over. Be 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 kind to people who deserve kindness and leave Tony Larusa out of it. Um, now, Tyler Glass. Now. Tell me a story of Tyler Glasnow's suspicions regarding the fact that he wasn't pitching very well. Okay, so he got beat around by the Blue Jays in a game the Jays eventually lost. Um, and he said, I, when asked about how he got robbed, he says, I don't know. I definitely think about it. I'm not quite sure. I think you have to ask the Blue Jays what was going. It was definitely a weird start for me. It was definitely strange. I think I had some decent swing and in in, in missed stuff. I think that the takes were different. And this was after asked about it directly because one of the announcers had thought that the Jays were doing something different. And so he didn't outright say it, but he basically said he thought that the Jays were stealing signs. And look, I understand it from Glassnow's point of view. Like he's not used to that happening, but the Jays are good hitters. Like, (laughs) and you know what? The the Jays have beat the crap out of Glassnow for pretty much his entire career. So I, I don't really get it. Like sometimes, and the Jays are one of the better teams in baseball, actually, at not striking out, which you might not know from watching the team, because but just everybody in baseball strikes out. So I don't know. Like, I, it just seemed like a little silly. I think there's a lot of Jays fans who got pretty upset or offended by this. I don't think it's insane. You know who's another team that has a lot of contact skills and don't strike out and are good hitters is the Houston Astros. And like, if you if we went in a time machine and went back five years and somebody told me, hey, Nick, the, the Astros are going to win the World Series. And one of the reasons their offense is going to be so good is because they were literally banging on trash cans in the uh, the walkway between the dugout and the clubhouse. I'd be like, you're crazy. That's absurd. Um, and that happened. So I just 
Have you been to Dunedin? How do you cheat there? There's no fans. I mean, There's no yeah. cameras. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, but like weirder things have happened, and I, I just know, don't think it's reasonable to accuse someone of cheating unless you actually have a reason. Like, well, he example, said he didn't know. All he said was like it seemed like the takes were. He seemed like the takes were odd and they were like sitting on things that they shouldn't be sitting on. He didn't say he thought maybe he was tipping his pitches. Wasn't that something he said too? Or he didn't think he no, was they tipping said they his thought pitches? He, that they were not tipping their pit, that he was not tipping his pitches. Um, yeah. But like, this isn't like, to me, if it's like Danny Farquhar in 2017, who was like, he, he was every time he threw a change up to Evan Gaddis, Evan Gaddis was right on it. He was hearing this banging noise. So he changed the signs up, called for a change up, no banging and struck him out. Like, then you have a reason to say, yeah, I think these guys are stealing signs. But unless I think unless you actually have a reason to think that other than a team was on your pitches, it kind of comes off as a little silly. Um, also, I mean, a friendly he's reminder. Very, he's very handsome. I'm sure people don't tell him he's wrong very often. So. <laughs> but friendly... he's going up against Randall Gritchett. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> a friendly reminder that um, relaying signs, if you have them on the field, is not illegal. No, it's so part of the game. If the Blue Jays happen to be good at that, um, if, the, if someone at second base figures out the sequence and, and Tampa Bay is not switching it up often enough, or if they have another, you know, another methodology, you know, is, is the catcher, does he drop his sign too low when he calls for a changeup? And you can see his fingers, you know. Uh, I, I, Danny Jansen like actually got called out for this a little bit by Joe Siddle that he was setting up too early. Yeah. So if it's something like that, that's not illegal. You can be mad about it. And they technically are sitting on your stuff. But maybe you need to look into more than tipping pitches rather than throwing accusations around. So, well, I mean, th think about what happened to David Price in the LCS in 2015 against the the Royals, right? Like they weren't doing anything illegal, but um, they, he was still giving something away. And maybe that's what was was going on. So, yeah, anyway, if you... If, just, like, yeah, in the post game, if you got something more than than I didn't, I didn't feel like I got beat the crap out of fairly. Uh, then great, go ahead. But otherwise, just keep it to yourself, and you have real evidence. That's the do over. I'm gonna say. Um, and since the do overs are done over, I would move to the portion where I declare that we are going to ask for final thoughts. Nick, I will allow you to final thought first. Um, so it is about nine o'clock on Friday night, which means I believe Shohei Otani should be making a start, uh, sometime <laughs> in the next hour. Um, and I hope uh, you're laughing because you, and I've heard the, the reason he's, the reason he's pitching tonight as opposed to last night is they're playing in Oakland and I guess the team stays in San Francisco. And, uh, so Otani was on his way to the park in the team bus but bad traffic basically made it so that he wasn't going to get there in time to to warm up properly for his start. So he got off the team bus with, I believe, some other teammates and tried to get there quicker by taking the BART, which is the uh, Bay, Bay Area, Area subway system, Yeah, which is I just love that. It's I just love thinking about Shohei Otani and Jared Walsh and four other angels. I don't know whose names there they are on on the subway trying to get to the Oakland Coliseum uh, quicker so he could make it uh, for a start. Um, and it really does kind of 
speak to this these guys' dedication to to what they do and to, to fail. Um, now, <laughs> just 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 to the point, I know they were absolutely not in uniform during that process. But in my mind, the story is a lot better if they're all in uniform during the process. <laughs> they're, they're carrying their own equipment. Too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, Josh, do you have a final thought? I do. So you teased it a little bit there, Nick, with your little big league reference. Oh. Um, so the mock drafts are starting to come out because the draft is coming up. It's a little later this year, but it's, you know, it's, there's the first ones are coming out. And the one that Keith Law put out had the Blue Jays taking Mike McGreevy. Last year, I was really happy they took C.J. Van Eck because I could say make comments about 90210, Claudia Van Eck. So it's like I could make little jokes. The pitcher in Little Big League is named Mike McGreevy. The guy played by Scott Patterson, who went on to be do Gilmore Girls. But like, who was Wait, like, is he the one who marries Billy's mom? No, no, it's that's the first baseman. Um, Mike McGreevy <laughs> was the pitcher who was like all about the money, and he only started trying when they reali- made him realize that like if he started pitching badly, he wouldn't get a good contract. Right. <laughs> I want the Jays to take this guy now. I don't care about anything else. <laughs> take Mike McGreevy. Or else. Josh is going to cancel his season ticket. Yeah. Uh, my my final thought uh, is clearly unplanned because I'm looking at the Blue Jays' current box score. It is the fifth inning. The Blue Jays have 12 hits and three walks. One member of the starting lineup has not reached base tonight. Can you gentlemen name that person? I know don't, who it is. So. Don't pile on. Don't pile. Is it? Is it Danny Jansen? Okay, no. you know. Okay. No, no, it is not Danny Jansen. It's Vladimir um, Guerrero Jr. <laughs> baseball's a weird game. Do you remember? Can't predict baseball. There's can't predict baseball. I know he has four more innings, but still. Oh, that's that's great. Awful and great all at the same time. Uh, well, boys. Uh, I suppose I should say that you have been uh, Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and also Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and this has been episode number 206 of Artificial Turf Wars and we'll talk at you next week. tournament is where cinderella stories begin and big wins happen on the biggest stage with gambat dc you could make your cinderella story a reality take advantage of new player bonuses online and in app or play in person for boosted parlays you can bet on all 63 games even if your bracket's busted and play from the edge of your seat with exciting in-game bets make your bets now with gambat dc terms and conditions apply please play responsibly